Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Here's the difference between working hard and working smart. You can work hard at home while also working smart by not being around other people. That would be my advice. ZipRecruiter has the tools to make hiring more efficient and effective. It's the smartest way to hire. They work hard. They work smart. They learn what kind of candidates you like. They invite more to apply. They're so effective. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, Tacovas believes that Western goods should be accessible to anyone and everyone. Their cowboy boots are handmade with high-quality full-grain leathers by world-class bootmakers with tons of timeless styles. Tacovas are designed to stay fashionable forever. Shipping, returns, and exchanges are free and easy. Do what I did. Get yourself a pair of Tacovas cowboy boots today at tacovas.com slash BS, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com slash BS. Don't forget to check out the Ringer Podcast Network where we are still cranking on a bunch of different pods as well as the ringer.com where you can find all the best uh, coverage on sports, pop culture, everything else. Coming up, we're going to talk to um, Cousin Sal about Tom Brady's departure from New England and all the ramifications from that. And I'm going to read something that I wrote in 2001 about the Patriots before Brady's career really took off at the tail end of this. Wanted to give a shout out to uh, our friend, Kevin Durant, who announced today that he um, tested positive for the coronavirus. I hope he is feeling better. I hope he gets through this. I hope everybody out there is taking care of themselves and trying not to freak out too much. This continues to be the scariest month that we've had since I've been alive. And, uh, you know, it's we've passed the point of, I can't believe this is happening probably four or five days ago. So all we're going to do on this end is keep doing, uh, trying to keep do, doing at least most of our job, try to keep doing podcasts. I know a lot of people are holed up. Hopefully everyone will soon be holed up trying to stay away from other people. And if you're watching TV, listen to podcasts, we're hoping we can at least have some content for you. No, another rewatchable is coming up this week too, by the way. I don't want to give it away but it's Castaway. I just did. I gave it away. It's going to be up uh, later in the week on the Rewatchables feed. So stay tuned for that. And uh, coming up, Sal, first, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, it is Tuesday afternoon, West Coast time. Things just getting weirder and weirder by the day. Had to turn to an old friend, an old stalwart of the BS podcast, Cousin Sal. What was that noise? Hey, Bill. I'm sorry, I only got a couple minutes. I'm at uh, Patrick Malloy's. Joe House and I are in an 80-man corned beef hash-eating challenge. So I'll get, what do you want to talk about? Just, it's not my turn yet, but just <laughs> no. let me know. All right, that's a dumb joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I enjoyed it. You took me aback. Um, <laughs> you're messing with my emotions. I've already lost Tom Brady. I don't want to use lose you in you in house. <laughs> what a day for you! Um, I mean, this is the worst St. Patrick's Day ever for a, a Boston fan or a Patriots fan or anything. Well, it was even worse for me because I didn't wake up until eight o'clock. I stayed up super late last night. 
woke up at eight and then just a bunch of text messages and the whole thing. And I was like, oh God. Oh no. Yeah. But then, but then it was like, oh, my my soon to be 43-year-old quarterback left the Patriots. I guess it, it could be worse, but definitely a bittersweet day. What was so I'll give you my take from from not knowing a lot, but reading between the lines the last few days. It really seems like the Patriots wanted to move on. I think it's hard to look at this after reading everything and and seeing the tea leaves and then going back to when Brady sold his house in September and everything like that. It just seems like the Patriots just didn't want to pay what he thought he was worth because he ends up saying goodbye. He doesn't even have his next team yet. Did that strike you as weird as a neutral party? Yeah, I was trying to look at like the timeline and they say like Tampa Bay, who's right, right now the odds on favorites, just maybe by the time this post, they'll have signed them, right? Uh, they made him an offer. Seems like a few days ago. Seemed like the Chargers did the same. And I think he, I don't, it seemed to me like he went back to the Patriots one more time because why wouldn't you want to stay with the Patriots? Everyone can say whatever they want, but this is an aging quarterback. He knows the Patriots culture. He knows their system. They really were like one possession receiver away from making the, the AFC championship, you know, or one catch really by Edelman. So I don't know why you'd want to leave there. Like they averaged 14 points a game on defense. You just tweak the offense. It looked like that's where he wanted to go. And regardless of what Kraft, Kraft made it look like it was Brady who pushed away. But I think you're right. I think, I think it was the Patriots who were ready to move on, but to move on to what? I don't know. Well, he's, they, we knew it was going to have to be today just because they had to get rid of him. The cap hit totally changed if it went past a certain threshold. So it's a $13 million cap hit for him anyway. But then if they were going to pay him whatever, um, let's say he wanted $30 million a year and they would have to stretch it out over the next couple of years. Now you're on the hook even longer. And meanwhile, you're just keeping your fingers crossed that your quarterback, who by the time he turns 43 in August, will basically be in his mid forties that now you're, you're just not going down this road. I, I, my guess is this is a little like the end of the usual suspects when, who is that Chaz Palminteri? He starts looking around the wall and all of a sudden he realizes all these different clues. And now it all makes more sense, right? The Garoppolo trade, the Seth Wickersham piece that he wrote at the time that I just didn't believe that there was a real fraction and that Belichick wanted Garoppolo to take over and craft intervened. Brady selling his house in September, Brady laying all these breadcrumbs that I was looking at it going, he's never going to actually leave. Why would somebody want to just do the Unitas Chargers uh, Namath on the Rams thing? Come on, he's not actually doing that. And then we hit the, it got closer and closer. And then it really started to feel realistic last week, especially people from the combine. Everybody was saying, yeah, we think he's leaving. And and now we're here. But the weird thing to me, usually you leave and just, I'm leaving because I'm going here. Is it possible that he doesn't have that option yet? Now we're taping this at two, it's two o'clock Pacific time. By the time this posts, he might be on the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think that's the most likely scenario, but is it possible he didn't know for sure? And they all agreed last night, look, man, you're not coming back. We're not paying that figure for you. Now he's semi-scrambling to find another team? Is that possible? That is a possibility, although I do think the teams that I mentioned, the Raiders, the Bucks, possibly the Chargers, made him an offer somewhere. Whether it's good enough for him, whether it's good, better than what the Patriots offered, it, it remains to be seen. But what I want to know is like, so if Belichick wants him back, he's back, right? I mean, don't you agree at that point? Yeah. 
So what, what happens now with Belichick in, in terms of how Patriots fans look at him? Like, you're taking a chance here. I know you want to distance yourself from him, prove that you can win without him. I'm sure Brady wants to do the same. But I feel like this is more of a risk for Belichick in terms of how he's going to be seen by Patriots fans overall, right? Like, don't you feel like if you have uh, two eight and eight seasons, he loses a lot of luster as far as, you know, a, a legendary coach, whereas it doesn't really matter what Brady does with any other team. I don't know. I, I kind of, that's how I feel. How do you feel as a Patriot fan? Well, I wonder if he looked at how the last two years went and especially how good the Chiefs are. And you're looking at the big picture and you're like, can we honestly beat the Chiefs with what we have? You know, like we, we basically, we miraculously won the Super Bowl two years ago. We shouldn't have gotten out of that AFC title game in Kansas City. We did. And then sneak one out against the Rams where we had no offense at all and you score one one touchdown when it actually mattered and you win the game somehow. But now you're looking at this quarterback that, as we've talked about on this pod, like it's, it was a fairly predictable offense because Brady couldn't really move around. Everything had to be perfect, you know? It was like yeah. the Barcelona soccer team style of connecting all these passes. And I I really think that at least from the Belichick side, there he was like, we can't pay this guy for past performance. We can't pay him $65 million for two years. Our team's not going to be good enough. If the goal is to win the Super Bowl, we're not going to come out of those two years with the Super Bowl. So why are we doing this? He's Belichick has always looked at this like, how do we win the Super Bowl? And he obviously felt like by paying Brady that much money, it would be impossible for them to win the Super Bowl. I think that's a fair assessment, right? Like, doesn't he have to have a plan too? Like, all right, how, if his if his goal is all right, how are we going to win the Super Bowl? If that's his outlook, and you could bet on this in some places, you got Jared Stidham as a starter as plus one fifty, Andy Dalton three to one, Jameis Winston seven to one, Derek Carr seven fifty, Foles nine to one, Garoppolo is a huge swing. I don't think that's happening. Ten to one. Who do you see in there? Or is there someone else he has in mind? I told you I thought it was going to be Jacoby Brissett, and that was. I told you that this morning when we were talking, even before the Colts signed Phil Rivers for one year, $25 million. And I think Brissett's been on the Pats. They like him. He was good the first seven games of the year before he hurt his leg. Came back and played on one leg and looked terrible. And, you know, that was why the Colts didn't make the playoffs, basically because he got hurt. But I thought if you go back and you look at the first six, seven games, he was classic game manager could move around, create some plays, calm, you know, solid B minus solid B, something like that. And I think he's under contract for one year, 15 million. So I thought that would make way more sense. I don't think Andy Dalton would fly in New England, you know, cause you got to look at this. Like we just had the hottest wife of all time for 20 years. And you'd almost like rather not You'd almost rather not date anybody than be like, all right, here's my new girlfriend. It's Andy Dalton. Right, right, right. <laughs> you can't do that. You're like, we just had the oh, greatest I'm quarterback of all time. Brady's wife to Dalton's wife. I see what you're doing. All right. That's oh, no, more, no. <laughs> a little more I get it. <laughs> no, but you can't, you can't go for Tom Brady to Andy Dalton. And, and you either have to bring somebody back who's been on the team, like Brissett or Garoppolo, or you have to just go totally off the reservation and do Jameis. Right. Or you just, you play Stidham. Dalton's such like, 
God, that would be depressing. That's as like the most depressing option for me. Athletes go in New England area, like Brian Scalabrini. <laughs> as far as you're going to go with that, right? Well, like a role player, yeah. he, can't, he can't be manning the ship there. Um, but what we is, did win a title with Scalabrini. Yeah, that's true. What is the ultimate fu from Belichick to Brady? Is it? I guess it's Jimmy G, and then second choice is Brissett, right? I don't think Brady would take Brissett as an FU. I mean, he's Brissett's now a backup quarterback. It would seem no, like no. I'm he's... saying if he if they if he won with these guys. Oh, if he won with them. Oh, Dalton. If he wins the Super Bowl with Dalton, then, really? then the Belichick. See, Brady's risking something here by you know whether he, whether he has two more years in him or whatever. But if he, nothing happens to him and Belichick is able to win with like a B minus quarterback. That would solve a lot of the really dumb Belichick versus Brady debates that we've seen. But I do feel like uh, when Van Noy left and Jamie Collins left, mm. those two guys together, and then you think like, you know, they use their franchise tag on a guard, whether they end up keeping him or not, we'll see. But I do, I do wonder if there's a warrior scenario here where they just throw away this year and try to fix all the cap stuff. Cause remember they took the cap hit for Antonio Brown too. So I think that com- combined for Brady and Antonio Brown, it's, it's gotta be close to like 25 million bucks just in dead cap space, which is something they don't normally have to deal with because they've been so smart with the cap. So maybe they look at this like, Hey, if we're going to bottom out, let's bottom out. We've, we don't have a second round pick. We've had a couple of really bad drafts. We don't have our, you know, goat quarterback anymore. Maybe, maybe we just kind of reboot for a year. I guess so. I, I don't know the where qu- the money, you know, the cap is close to 200 million now. So I was looking at their roster and they really don't allocate they have a little dead money there, but don't allocate a ton of money to like position players, um, uh, skill position players rather. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where the money is. I do wonder though, for all the fun we made of Jameis. You know, we're rooting for that 30-30. We've really, we're watching the Buccaneers games more than our own teams towards the end just to see if we can get to that magical number. Do you feel like it? you screwed yourself a little bit? If Tampa had a little more uh, a little more confidence in Jameis, they wouldn't even be discussing Tom Brady and he might be back on your team. <laughs> oh, you think this is my fault? All I the Jameis jokes? I'm trying to blame you somehow. That's <laughs> 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 always the goal here. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Jameis, let's talk about that scenario for a second. Brady going to Tampa Bay, if he has, if he's 80% as he, as good as he was in his prime, they have two of the best 10 receivers in the league. I was lucky enough to have both of those guys in my fantasy team. And it was incredible. Those guys were open constantly. And, you know, whether Brady is the right quarterback for them at this stage of his career, I'm not sure, but it's certainly more weapons than what he had in uh in New England. And he's got some tight ends. Who is that that third the third receiver they had who when the guys went down, what was his name? That guy was all of a sudden a fantasy juggernaut. Oh, was it Remember uh, him? Was it a, uh what's his name? Yeah, I know. He's filled in the last few years. Isn't this terrible that we can't we already forget? Uh, well, God we're just old Harrison, though, right? Was it Brush- Perriman. Richard Perriman? Richard Perriman, who was wearing a uniform number that was similar to Evans and Godwin. And it was always confusing, you know, if you had two of the three guys. I'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, no, that's Perriman. But, uh, but I thought they were pretty loaded. So I'm in this weird spot where 
I, I'm so grateful to the 20 years. And I'm going to talk I, after we leave. I'm going to read a column I wrote in 2001 to try to put all of it in perspective how fucking sad it was. Okay, to be a good. Yeah, fan. definitely make sure I'm gone by the time you read it. Yeah, you're going to be gone. I'm not going to read that with you on the line because you'll be just catcalling the whole time. But, you know, if let's say he does go to Tampa and let's say they're really good and they're like 10 and one. And meanwhile, the Pats are plowing through a three and eight year. Yeah. Uh, that that would that would be awful. Now, granted, this is, under this scenario, we'll actually have football, and we're not going to all be under some crazy quarantine. And I I think it's it's fun for a second just to let your mind drift to this world in September where things might actually be normal again. But um, but it would just be weird to watch him succeed on another team like that. I've never I've never really had an athlete. I'm trying to think, have you, have you had a guy leave and I guess Clemens, but Clemens's teams weren't really winning and he never won, you know, he never won the the world series with the, the Yankees. Damon like went it, with the, yeah, he, wait, he went to the Yankees for a minute, right? I can't even remember. I think he was on the 09 team, but at that point I didn't care because we had already won. Bork went to the avalanche, but we, everyone in Boston was actually rooting for him to win the cup because that was really sad. Um, the Bruins had just hit rock bottom, but, um, yeah, I can't remember being in a scenario like this. I know other people have, have been with favorite players. Yeah. You got to root right? against your guy a little bit or root or totally root for him and abandon your team. It's, it's, uh, well, it's like Lakers fans with Shaq. I remember in the mid two thousands right? when the Lakers chose between Shaq and Kobe and then Shaq went to Miami, almost made the finals in 05. Then he actually made it in 06, won the title and they're kind of happy for him, but also kind of bummed out. So I think that would be the reaction, but um, you know, what's interesting. I, 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 just, Gil, I love Gil Brandt. He's a legend for a hundred years. And he listed, you know, the NBA gets, I want to say credit for it. Actually, I think they get crap for this, the way that players move around so much, but he posted uh, the NFL starting quarterbacks in 2018, Brady, new England. We don't know where he is now. Rivers chargers goes to the Colts. Luck. Colts, retired. Manning, Giants, retired. Newton, Carolina, TBD. Tanhill, Miami, Tennessee. Winston, Tampa Bay, TBD. Dalton, Cincinnati, TBD. Bortles, Jaguars, Rams. Like it's, it's such a mix. Rosen, Arizona, Tampa Bay. Mariota's gone a different team. It's very strange how it moves around. Flacco. It's almost like how NBA coaches, how there's a ton of turnover with that. You don't usually see that with the quarterback position. Hold on, Sal. Quick break to talk about Google Cloud. Companies around the world are solving the most important challenges of Google Cloud, like the Home Depot, who's solving for empowering doers to get more done. Using Google Cloud's big data solutions, they're delivering DIY know-how and product information nearly instantaneously to customers online and arming 400,000 associates with the knowledge tools they need to help any doer who walks through the door. Google Cloud what are you solving for? Visit g.co slash cloud slash solving to find out. Can we talk about Tom Brady, worst case scenarios? That's why I was asking you what the biggest F you is, but yeah, the worst case scenario is the Patriots going far, right? Yeah, I would say the worst case scenario is it would be twofold. One is the Patriots don't really miss much of a beat without him, which I, I think is unrealistic, but you know, you can't count out Belichick and you can't forget the Matt Castle season and even the Deflategate, the four games Brady was suspended. They still have the best coaching staff and they're in, they still have really smart players that they target and things like that. Like they, 
if they decide not to do the Golden State Warriors, and my guess would be Belichick wouldn't want to do the Golden State Warriors, especially with all this cap space. Um, yeah, I I just think they'll overachieve because he's the coach. But the the worst worst case scenarios for Brady is that he switches teams, and he's just in that last Peyton Manning year in Denver situation, where Manning, you know, Manning wins the Super Bowl but he's certainly not one of the top eight reasons they win the Super Bowl that year. And if anything, he held them back and it was kind of a bummer to watch him. And I was somebody that rooted against him his whole career. And even I was kind of bummed out and, you know, he ended up, he made a couple of big throws in the AFC title game against the Pats. They didn't really need him in the Super Bowl, but for the most part, he was so bad that year that he wanted to play the next year. Nobody wanted to sign him, which is, it's one of those things that falls through the cracks over the years. Affiliation with Papa John. They just, it was a deteriorating (laughs) skill. (laughs) Might might have been. It's possible. The, uh, but yeah, it was, it was kind of a sad way for him to go out because I remember Peter King was writing columns that year and it was like, Peyton Manning absolutely wants to play and all 32 teams were like, yeah, cool. We're good. We, it's not happening. Yeah. So like, I was thinking that like when, you know, all these, Cities that might be excited to get him. All right, if he goes to Vegas, that's a nice, fun start for John Gruden and the Raiders in, in Las Vegas. Or if he goes to the Chargers, they need something to, you know, put this the their like little brother to the Rams in the stadium and then a new stadium. Who knows what's going to show up? You know, that that'd be a nice boost to start. Uh, you know, or even Tampa Bay. But how much are these fans? How much is this franchise? Bruce Arians, whoever it is, going to put up with Brady if he throws? six interceptions in the first three games, you know, one one or two or a pick six. Like, I don't know. It wears off very quickly. Whereas um, I think like Belichick has a little more wiggle room with whoever he puts in there um, to, to replace him. I was talking to a bunch of different people today, texting and got varying perspectives. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but our friend Hench was on the camp of he should maybe he should maybe pack it up. What's he doing? There is a scenario where he's just not that good next year. And people are like, wow, we really made a big deal out of this guy who's 43, where he's going to play. He ends up getting a big contract and he's just not that good anymore. I do think that's more realistic than him being awesome. We've learned not to count this guy out, but I just think 43 years old, Jesus. Yeah, the only thing is you count on Tom Brady to be smart enough to know when that is. So when he says, I could play to 45, 46, even though the numbers declined over the last three years, you kind of want to believe him because he has the six rings and you you should believe him. So if he, that's what, that's the only hope right there, right? If it's just, this is a nameless, faceless person, you looked at his numbers, you'd be like, no, I'd never take a chance on that. But because he's Tom Brady, you take him for his word. Um, And I think that's, I think that's basically how he would craft a new contract with some of these teams. I was talking, thinking about Hench and when the Hopkins for uh, David Johnson trade virtually oh, gosh. One went down, how crazy would Hench be in our league, our fantasy league, if that were, if that happened, but that <laughs> w- w- they would have to be restraining orders, right? Well, and, and the fact that the Patriots weren't involved in that trade. Yeah. I kind of knew when, when they let him go and Stefan Diggs, both of those guys just go by the wayside. That was when I was like, oh man, they're really not going to bring Brady back. Even Austin Hooper, even thought, like, even thought like a, a tight end like Austin Hooper or Hunter Henry, who was like in tag. Uh, like that, right. that could have been the missing piece right there for you guys. 
I mean, if you had told me yesterday that they traded Nikhil Harry and their first round pick for Hopkins, mm-hmm. I would have been like, that's a great trade. Sure. That's probably what the price for DeAndre Hopkins should be. And for what Houston got, I know O'Brien got, you know, eviscerated in the last 30 hours, but um, th- th- that was about 40% of what I would have thought he was worth. I mean, when you think like Diggs, and I know Diggs had a much more favorable contract, but the haul for Diggs almost seemed like it was twice as much as what it Houston was. got for Hopkins, who's more expensive. It was a one, five, but- a six in, in 2021 and, a, and a, for a seven in 2020, like, or a one, five, a six in 2020 and a, for a seven in 2020. It's craziness. Like, like O'Brien, if you wanted to defend him, you had like an hour maybe to do it before that Diggs trade went through. And it's like, oh my God, he really just didn't get on the phone to call GMs. And that's the one thing you guys have going against you. Even though you have fleece teams in the past, I think people are wary of getting on the phone with Belichick and making a trade like that. Well, I hope O'Brien didn't do the whole thing about wanting to trade Hopkins outside his conference. I haven't seen all his quotes about it, but that's always one of my least favorite. Yeah, I remember when when uh, Belichick traded Bledsoe to the Bills in our division, everybody went nuts. He's like, what do I care? They, they made the best offer. It's not like we'd have to go through them at some point if we're trying to win the Super Bowl anyway. But I really hope that wasn't his logic. Like, well, you know, we we could have, we had a couple AFC offers, but we, you know, we just wanted to send him out of the conference. Don't worry, don't worry, Bill O'Brien. Houston won't be competing for a title anytime soon. I would be, can you imagine like, I mean, nobody cares about the Texans. That, that's got to be a top five Nobody cares about them team just because they've only been around 20 years. You know, they're the, they're probably behind the Rockets, at least in Houston, just for like attention. They don't know what to think of the Astros and AJ Hinch and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's really craziness now. Yeah. Between the Rockets, the Astros in general, it's not like they've captured the city in, in the current way. Like they have a chance to win the title, anything like that. But can you imagine if that was the Cowboys? And the Cowboys traded two first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil, and then gave away Hopkins for a second-round pick. Like people, that would all be everything ESPN talked about for like five straight weeks mm-hmm. about how Dallas. What's wrong with them? Yeah, I get a lot of Jerry Jones gets a lot of crap for not naming the GM, and then you look at across town rivals, if, if you will, with and Bill O'Brien's like, oh, thank God, that's good. Maybe maybe Bill O'Brien's on Jerry Jones's payroll. It really, <laughs> he might be. To sabotage football in Texas? Yeah. I guess I don't really understand what anyone's worth in football. In basketball, I have an excellent gauge for prices. Mm-hmm. And in football, it's like Stefan Diggs is, gets 40% more than, De- than what Houston got for DeAndre Hopkins, basically because he makes less money. But then the cap went way up this year. Yeah. Well, there was a couple so, things, and this is why I, I didn't defend Bill O'Brien. But the, uh, and my, again, and when that Stefan Diggs trade came down, there was nothing you could say to defend Bill O'Brien. He just didn't do his due diligence. But you're like, oh man, all right, this looks bad. But all right, Hopkins, there was a, he didn't get along with O'Brien in the front office, so they weren't resigning him anyway. They didn't have a pick in the top fifty, so it was good that they got a second rounder out of him. And I don't know, I was trying to <laughs> David Johnson healthy is better than Carlos Hyde and Lamar Miller. Then you got Fuller. Kenny Stills, uh, and then they signed Randall Cobb, and all of a sudden they're giving much more money to Randall Cobb and David Johnson than they would just 
um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Like it, it didn't make any sense from any way you looked at it. Yeah, when they signed Randall Cobb to whatever they signed him to, that was like, oh, they're just they're just the worst run team in the league. Now we have all of our answers. It was like any semblance of the possibility of a master plan just went by the wayside. But, you know, for the Patriots, they gave up a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu, which is basically what uh, Arizona gave up for <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins. They had thrown David Johnson. But David Johnson wasn't even the best running back on his own team. Right. It's tough. I, I sincerely doubt that uh, Houston would have traded DeAndre Hopkins too. New England. No, so, I don't think so. All right. So anyway, your prediction for the Patriots' next QB is who? Um, I don't think they could go too crazy here. I really don't. So as of the time we're on here, there's only like three major quarterbacks that haven't had a landing spot, like Brady, uh, Newton, and Winston, right? Now you could say Derek Carr or someone like Nick Foles has to jump around or something, and there's an outside chance Garoppolo move. Not, not going to happen, but it's those three, right? As soon as those three fit in, you know uh, what's going to happen. But I think, I think you're right. I think it's an Andy Dalton type guy. I don't think they go into the season with Jared Stidham as their number one. <sighs> it's just brutal. Andy Dalton. Uh, nice guy. Um, Listen, you'll play the Shakey's game on uh, the first Saturday. Won't that be fun? Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. Guaranteed. Wouldn't enjoy that. Wouldn't enjoy that either. Pats are 35 to 1 to win the uh, Super Bowl right now. Who is? The, oh, the Pats. The Patriots. Yeah. 30. The, so, did you do? I know you did some of this on Against All Odds, but Tampa Bay's over under right now is still eight and a half wins. Is it? Wow. Minus 145. Maybe that's smart to jump on the over uh, for the nine. Yeah, that's pretty good. I I was also thinking in your division, this might be a nice emotional hedge for you. Bills plus one sixty five. They were so Brady comes out with a report or he, the post on Instagram, and they were plus three fifty. And I was like texting you and House, and just as I was texting you guys, it, it fell off the board. Now it's it's half that. It's plus one sixty five. But I still think that's decent value, right? That offense should be good. That defense was almost as good as the Patriots. I'm definitely not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk I would, afterwards. I know in public you don't want to do that, but it's probably smart. no. I'm, that would not do that. The emotional hedge would be to bet on Brady with the Bucks. Oh, I, to have a little extra on it, you know. And then if and if he does well and he comes back to haunt the Patriots, at least like you're making some money out of it. Yeah, Try but to get you'll to be happy wins. for him anyway, right? Isn't that how it's played? I think you'll be happy for him either way. Yeah, it'll it'll be weird. Yeah, I I've never been in this situation with any athlete who we've had for this long. Just ended up staying for the long haul. Clemens was the closest, and the Clemens thing was much more acrimonial. And yeah, you know we we also acrimonious. <laughs> acrimonious. I think this is where we disagree. I think Belichick's legacy has uh, more chance of getting taking a hit here. I really do. You think I do any legacies take a hit? Can I go with the no legacies take a hit no matter what happens? Scenario? Yeah, sure. But I think Patriots fans, when all said and done, like right now, right, right now, you would say if you had to allocate a percentage of the Super Bowls, who is it? And I don't know if you've ever answered this. Who is more responsible for their Super Bowls, Belichick or Brady? Or you're going to say you can't separate it. 
I would say 60-40 Belichick. 60-40 Belichick. All right. So sure he has more to lose now, right? If, if Brady makes the playoffs and he stumbles around 8-8? Eight and eight? Only because the organization that he built and the way that they figured out the cap and all these different loopholes that he just kind of mastered over the years. Um, you know, I think both, I think both guys would have won Super Bowls without each other. And I don't really like to separate them, but. Well, I, I made you do you, it. And you know what? I think that's a quotable moment and good for you. you finally <laughs> the aggregators. 60, 40. Yeah. Belichick just figured out some stuff ahead of time. Like he definitely figured out the don't pay people for past performance thing. Yeah. Get, get, move on people two years early instead of two years too late. He definitely figured out, um, don't overpay for one asset. Try to spread it around. Try to have depth. Do that whole thing. Use your cap space really smartly. Ro try to roll over picks for more value. He figured that piece out. And then just recently, the last you know six, seven years, figured out the whole NFL middle class thing where they just over and over again were targeting these guys that made between five and $8 million and trying to add up those guys versus paying two guys $32 million. So, I think you you come at it uh, with uh, with an intelligent uh, intelligent manner. I don't know if all Patriots fans follow that. I think like if the best case for Brady is being you, you can go to one game, go being down twenty eight three, right? Like it's kind of out of Belichick's hands there, and probably screwed them for the Super Bowl, right? With the whole Butler thing. Um, what's the best case for Belichick? A season they definitely shouldn't have won, and they did. I think the Rams, the Rams Super Bowl mm. is a classic Belichick. Yeah. That was where he just completely figured out how to stop the Rams. And they only needed 13 points from the offense and they won it. Um, I think the, the Seattle and Atlanta Super Bowls are probably skewed more toward Brady because I just don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks who could have come back from that you know, coming back from 10 in Seattle and then, but then Belichick ends up Jedi mind tricking Carol in the last minute. So maybe they split that one equally. And then the Falcons one is just Brady. That, that I mean, that's like, that's the greatest game of his career. Mm -hmm. But, um, and those are, yeah, Super I think they're tough. Although that first one I have to give to Brady, uh, I think. He wasn't the Rams Super Bowl. He really wasn't that good in that game though. I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't move the ball at all in the second half. I mean, that team was so undermanned. The, his second half numbers were as good as the first half numbers, I thought. I thought for sure. Uh, in that game? Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing about him in that game was how bad the weapons were. It was unbelievable. Like, the starting tight end wasn't even in the league the next year. The running back was a backup running back, and the wide receivers were like third and fourth receivers on any other team. Yeah. So, uh, last thing, and then we'll wrap up the Brady thing. The, uh, Thank God. The, um, the, the whole concept of somebody finishing their career somewhere else, you had it happen with Emmett Smith, who was your idol for a long time until you actually met him. Right. But, um, <laughs> he ended up in Arizona and now nobody remembers that, but in the, in the moment was pretty strange and, and didn't seem right. And when you think about like, great players who are attached to a certain franchise then ending their career in a different franchise. There's not a lot of fond memories for it. Montana to the Chiefs, even that one, like they almost made the Super Bowl, but they didn't. He had a couple good Monday night football games, stuff like that. But it wasn't like, you know, the most awesome thing 
that I, I don't have a lot of like fond Joe Montana Chiefs memories. Manning to the Broncos, I think was pretty fluky because, you know, they had the Andrew Luck thing, Manning had the four neck surgeries and he had something to prove and he had, you know, a couple monster years for the Broncos. I, don't, I think that's, it's tough to compare that situation to anything. But for the most part, usually this doesn't go that great. And then you you see what happened with Kobe Bryant here in January and February in Los Angeles, how he played two decades for the same team, really belonged to the city, retired after here. And, you know, the outpouring that happened happened for so many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons was, you know, he was such a big part of Los Angeles and he never left. And now Brady's basically punted on that. Do you think that's going to matter? No, I remember being terrified that, uh, Romo, you know, when they had committed to Dak that he was going to go somewhere else. I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I can't do it. I don't want to do this. I'll, I'll leave the Cowboys. I'll never come back. I have to, my kids are going to be confused. Uh, you know, you don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, just forget the emotional part of it. It's just a lot of work. But um, I don't know. It depends how this gets. Uh, I think someone's going to have to write an article about how this really went down. I mean, don't, I think he can get a lot of sympathy if it is, as you say, and the Patriots just passed on him, you know? Well, it definitely seems like there was acrimony dating back to last summer for whatever reason. And, you know, now that we look back and it's like he sold his house, it wasn't just him being dramatic. And all the other stuff that happened, these little signs here and there and, you know, quotes and Instagram posts and all that stuff. It wasn't just him playing up the drama. He actually did feel like this was going to be his last season. He did hit some sort of tipping point with them. But I do feel like, you know, it's like any relationship when you spend 20 years with the same entity, you, you start every slight, every whatever starts getting magnified. Like, like, uh, like our cousin Jimmy has had that TV show now for what, 18 years? Yeah. Yeah. 18. Yeah. Almost. This is the 18th year, but it's not acrimonious. They actually need him. His show makes money for them and stuff like that. But if he had been kind of, if they had had the same ABC president that entire time and it was always like who gets credit for whatever and, and, and Jimmy was, all these slights started piling up. Couldn't you, couldn't you see at some point him going, I'm taking this to another TV network. Screw this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, so maybe that's you know, like, what this was. But and they also made it clear, or at least Belichick kind of made it, made it more clear that, you know, it's, uh, he would always want that opportunity to see what, what it would be like to win without Brady, you know? And, uh, I don't know. The Jimmy G thing could have, it could have been over then. Right. So you got more years out of Brady, you got a super bowl. And, um, now, now, like I said, I think it's, it's the balls in Belichick's court. He has more to prove here. Well, it's like one of my friends said, if Adam Vinatieri goes to Indianapolis for more money, and then just becomes another guy during this whole Pats dynasty. Whereas if he stays with the Pats for 20 years, he owns a bunch of sports bars in Massachusetts and That's true. has a completely different meaning. The problem with this analogy, since I introduced on the podcast the last time, as a couple of people pointed out, there's no way Belichick would have kept him for 20 years. He would have brutally murdered him at some point and, and waived him when you least expected it for some cheaper kicker. So there's no way we could have even played out that scenario. But, you know... Belichick, cutthroat dude, and maybe Brady knew that and wanted to leave while he had at least a little bit of leverage left and didn't want to be Peyton Manning after that last Denver year when Denver's like, yeah, we're good. We're not going to keep this going. 
Chargers and, and didn't want to be like hung out to dry. Patriots uh, schedule this year. That'd be fun if it ends up there. And the Bucks are on the Raiders uh, Patriots schedule for 2021. I mean, we could kick off as the a first fan of, night with the Chargers Patriots. As a fan of Tom Brady, I hope he goes to Tampa Bay. You do. And ha- and has a legit chance to win. Him going to the Chargers would be lame. They nobody See, cares you want about him, the Chargers. You want him out of the conference too. You're the same way. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody cares about the Chargers here. How many Chargers conversations have you had in ten years? Mm-hmm. Do you think the new rules uh, played a factor in either of their decisions, Belichick or Brady? So now you could be eight and seven going into the last week and look at a wild card with seven playoff teams in each conference. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I wonder. Now, now Belichick no. doesn't necessarily have to win the division. So you think Andy Dalton has gained value because of the new rules? Now nine no, and six has. is a playoff sure. team? <laughs> <laughs> or that nine and eight is could be a playoff team? That's the Andy's Cowboys, wheelhouse. Well, first of all, the first year they won't play 17. They'll play 16 still. But yeah, so you could be, you could technically be eight and eight and get in. My Cowboys are minus 200 to make the playoffs. That's how, that's how easy they see it as this year. Jesus. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm still still grappling with all this stuff. The the worst case scenario is Brady doing well and us being saddled with some QB that the rest of America can make fun of. And not just Andy Dalton, but what if it's Trubisky? Oh yeah, right. What if what if the Bears trade for Cam Newton and Trubisky and then Belichick steals Trubisky under the you know, thinking this guy was a top three pick a couple of years ago. I'm getting real value here. He was in a bad system. We'll put him in our system. We'll teach him how to be a quarterback. And then we have Mitch Trubisky. See, this is the kind of stuff I never had to worry about for 20 years. The best thing, and you've been in this situation a few times with the Cowboys, the best thing about having a good quarterback is you don't have a bad quarterback. Because when you have a bad quarterback, that's the fucking worst. What's worse than having a bad quarterback? No, I mean, having a bad quarterback feels way worse than having a good quarterback feels good. You know what I mean? I know, I know. You're, because you don't have to worry about a dumb interception in the fourth quarter, 10 out of 16 games. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a fucking nightmare. Who Who is the worst? Who's the worst quarterback you've had in the last 20 years that actually started for a decent team? Testaverde, Bledsoe, uh, Quincy Carter made the playoffs. So yeah, that, that was kind of about that was about it before the, the good ones came in. We had, I remember Tony Eason post Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and he was good the next year, and then he just kind of lost his confidence. Yeah, and for like five straight years, we just had the worst quarterbacks. It was just one after the other. Like Flutie was in there, Hugh Millen. Oh my God! It, I I can't even remember. All oh, that. look at the Browns! They did it. it, it, it the sixty quarterbacks in twenty years or something. And then they get a good right. one. He's terrible. <laughs> so my expert opinion is, it's better to have a good quarterback than a bad one. You have to have. We'll leave you with that. We, we've we've been stuck with our families. We're going to do uh, an emergency parent corner. One break. Hey, with home security, there are two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune. Or there's the other way, SimpliSafe. SimpliSafe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection, two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. SimpliSafe blankets your whole home and safety. You barely notice it's there, but what's truly remarkable is you can set up this system all by yourself. Anyone can do it. It takes 30 minutes an hour tops, and there's absolutely no trade-offs to your safety. 
you'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice, 24 seven. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS, get a free Simply Safe security camera, normally $100. Go today and it's free. It will help you capture crucial evidence for the police and get 350% faster dispatch. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS, Simply Safe with two eyes, simplysafe.com slash BS. All right, Sal, this is the most time you've ever spent with your family. Uh, how's, how's it going? <laughs> you know, it's funny. They say, oh, there's going to be a baby boom nine months from now. But I also think there's going to be a lot of kids up for adoption. So maybe everyone should take it easy on the sex <laughs> because you can snatch up a kid uh, at, at will, I think, uh, come you know whatever month this is, come December. Uh, it's rough, right? And there's going to be, I think we have like three months of this, right? What would you say? I would say minimum three months. I, I've been saying that on the last couple of pods. It doesn't seem realistic that this ends before June. Right. And so that means, okay, so the teacher's approval ratings are through the roof right now because now we're homeschooling all our kids and yeah. they're all shitheads. They don't want to sit still for 10 minutes. I don't blame them. They're home. Why would they want to sit still when they're like, oh, I have all day to do this, but it is creating so many fights in my house and my wife and I, and, we, and, and our, our middle kid, and it just doesn't want to do any work, right? Are you going through the same thing? It's gone to another level in my house because normally my son, who's been basically preparing for a quarantine his whole life, this is <laughs> everything he's, you know, ready to do. Normally he would be jumping in the trampoline for an hour, playing basketball, playing mm -hmm. hockey, going inside, playing guitar, playing video games. He'd just be going, but he's, he's got a broken foot. Mm -hmm. And so he's still limping around in a cast. So he can't do all the energy stuff. And he, he's not working off the three uh, to four to five hours of just, just right. doing stuff because he can't. So he is driving us crazy. Like yeah. to, the, to the point where I might put him on eBay pretty soon. I've been thinking about <laughs> it. Can you put human beings on eBay or no? I saw his Instagram post and he said, it's for Brady, you have this nice flowery thing, everything you've done. Thanks, goat, six time yeah. champ, whatever. Sorry if I'm stepping on your parent corner, but what did he write on his post? Uh, I'm I'm gonna get it for you. Yeah, first of all, I don't think he I don't think he watched more than three complete Patriot games. Just pieces of a lot of them. He said, "My son's parent, his Instagram post was, uh, dear Tom Brady, you have been great for many years, but it's time you go. We have loved the time you." We have loved the time you have been in New England. Thank you. And then I, I texted him. I was like, can you just at least, if you're going to put that, can you change the love to loved? So all the tenses are right. No, still, still. That's what you're worried about. The tenses matching up. <laughs> well, it's, it's at least if you're going to throw Tom Brady under the bus with some Instagram post, can you at least get your tenses right in the post? No, apparently not. He can't. I love it. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm so, crazy about, you know, I don't know how you are, but I don't want anyone leaving the house. And uh, I, it turns out I have a lot of stupid people in my family, like my mother, for instance, who, if you do the math, is not um, under 50 years old. And like we FaceTime her today, we're checking in and she's like, oh, I, I don't know. My face doesn't look good. I don't want you to just call me. I was like, oh, what happened? She's like, well, I got laser. I got laser on my face. I was like, you're going out and getting like laser surgery. Like, yeah, it was so like 90% off. I was like, of course it's 90% off. No one's supposed to leave their house. No one over 65 is supposed to leave your house. You're getting laser surgery on your face. You're going to get lasered off the planet. And between that 
And my son is in like some kind of like tag game or something. He's like, he and the whole grade are in a tag game and he was it. And somehow he could, he could uh, like track people on his phone. He's like, Oh, I got to get this guy. He's walking along the strand at the beach. Mom, uh, let me jump in the car. Can, I, can we get him? I was like, what the hell are you guys doing? Tag, this is exactly what you're not supposed to do. And they come back and they tag the guy. And it's, I was like, I, I can't, this is totally opposite of what you're supposed to be doing right now, playing tag. I don't care what your street oh is my God. or anything. So I'm uh, I'm freaking out a little bit. I don't want anyone coming. I mean, we, this is going to sound douchey, but we had the, the housekeeper, like, I just, I'm like, no, let's pay her. I just send her money. I don't want, I don't want her coming on the bus and <laughs> whatever, and everything getting screwed up. So this is, this is our lives now. What has been the, the, uh, oftentimes vicious rivalry between your middle son and your youngest son. What's that been like during the quarantine? Well, it's bad and it's exasperated because because we're only watching wrestling now. Like I could tell you every Royal Rumble winner since 2003. Um, And Raw and SmackDown, thank God, have continued on, but they're playing without an audience. They're they're running the cards without a, a crowd. And I think the plan is for WrestleMania to be the same. So these kids are... They have cabin fever. They're jumping up on couches. They're getting yelled at for not doing homework, and they're wrestling. And it's just they're really just banging heads. Like I don't know. I, I texted you. I was like, "What? What are the over unders on our wives crying? <laughs> what are the over unders on us crying? Just busting out with emotion." Um, yeah, it's bad. I don't know how you do. <laughs> Where do you go? Do you walk around the block as a family? What do you do? My wife tries to walk every day, and on Sunday, after three straight days stuck with us. She said she was going on a power walk with her friend Krista, where apparently they stay seven feet apart from each other. Right. And they she left at like one fifteen and came back at five. And she was like, I just wanted to walk. I just didn't want to be around you guys. I'm like, this is going great. I was like, don't blame me. It's Ben's fault. It's it's really Ben. Ben is the root of all of this. So uh I have I have two parent corners about uh my daughter, actually. Okay. So one is she's one of those hyper, like internet hypochondriacs. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who like, oh, the side of my neck hurts. I'm going to go look up all the symptoms. And then whatever the worst thing I read, I'm going to convince myself that I have it. So she's always been that. So the coronavirus, you can only imagine. She's read every single thing out there including the stupid thing you made fun of on social media about if you hold your breath for 10 seconds yeah, and you cough after you have the coronavirus, which is the only person who would probably believe this is Donald Trump. I'm surprised he didn't say this in the press conference. Uh, it's fine. It just hold your breath. If you don't, we don't need tests. <laughs> so I know she's doing this every six hours to see if she has it, even though we've told her over and over again. So the hypochondriac thing, I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out. But anyway, so she's, her and her boyfriend have been together for eight months now. It's it's probably the best, most sanest relationship in, in my life right now out of anybody I know. And he was supposed to come over last Friday. And this was right as the quarantine thing was really, really heating up. Mm-hmm. And on Thursday night, we were like, you know, it's probably not a good idea he comes over because, you know, everybody's saying like, the, the only way to keep this from spreading is you got to self-quarantine. And she reacted like it was an episode of the OC where Misha Barton's dad said he couldn't see Ryan Atwood anymore. It was like one of those, like really upset. I'm going to see him. It was like one of those. 
right. said, all right, well, what are, has he been around people? Or is it? So anyway, he comes over on Friday and, and, uh, it's fine, whatever. But it, since then we haven't really had anybody. So now it's starting to, now she's starting to circle around the, well, he hasn't been around anyone either. So why couldn't, you know, we have another date? Because if if neither of us have been around anybody, we couldn't give it to each other because we haven't seen anybody. Obviously, we're not doing that. So now it's turning into Corona Romeo and Juliet where she's going to be sneak, sneaking out of the house. This is, this is now like a Corona Romeo and Juliet. It's now a Netflix movie. That she would probably watch if it was available on uh, on Netflix, but her sneaking out of our house at three in the morning to see her boyfriend because the coronavirus is keeping them apart. I'm telling you, somebody's gonna make this movie. Oh yeah, and it'll probably be based on her story. So I, my son has a girlfriend too. So you're just they're not allowed to see each other. Is that what you're doing? I mean, start, starting this week, I, I don't think it's a great idea. I know. I don't, I don't know. know what to do either. Like, yeah, I'm like we have to talk to her parents his girlfriend's parents like hey who are you guys seeing who is anyone else you know like are you you ordering right. food or you're going out to eat like it's uh oh my god to stay on top of this shit it's crazy so you're so you're letting your son have have dates still well not go out like just go to her house or she comes right. here so that that's it yeah but if they they can't leave they can't go anywhere what if they're both wearing hazmat suits <laughs> That's not bad. I wouldn't mind that. Maybe that's how Corona Romeo and Juliet ends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this God. is so weird. What the hell are we going to do? So the lie. I, so you think, you think the birth rate is going to go up? Yeah, you don't think so? I mean, it might, might be a couple of things. Birth rate and divorce. You might have divorced parents. You might have like a six-month-old getting you know splitting custody of like a six month old right i think all the rates are going up i think any any sort of thing good or bad goes up because we've never spent this much time together as families yeah, yeah. it really is crazy well sal sal hang in there you got at least you have to you get to finish your book i can finish the book um, you could listen, uh, against all odds this week. We had Jeffrey Ross on, we had a uh, very excited Harry who picked Tom Brady to the bucks at 60 to one. And we had, I had those guys bet on the single sporting event, na- not even nationwide internationally. There's one sporting event you could bet on these sites and it's a Turkish soccer game, Fenerbahce against case Um, and it, it takes place Friday. And if you want to know the winner, uh, listen to that. congrats Sal good job by you good job by you All right, don't go yet I'm going to read something that I wrote about the Patriots in 2001 but before we do that wanted to give a reminder about all the good stuff we have on the Ringer Podcast Network we're going to have Ringer NFL shows Ringer NBA shows The Watch The Big Picture David Chang has a podcast this week I think JJ Redick is going to do a podcast as well uh, on down the line, all of our Ringer Podcast Network shows, you know what they are. You can find them on Apple or on Spotify's awesome app where you can control the speeds for that. Okay. So I was thinking a lot about how long Tom Brady has been in my life as a Patriots QB. And here's how long it's been. First of all, when he joined the team, I was living in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I was not at ESPN yet. 
when he got the starting job for the Patriots in September 2001, a couple, I think it was probably a week after 9-11. I can't remember, two weeks after 9-11. I had just started working at ESPN probably five, six months earlier than that. Uh, the first Super Bowl I ever covered was the Patriots winning the Super Bowl in New Orleans, which I wrote about all week. It was probably the greatest professional week of my life up to that point. And then you go all the way through. Uh, I moved to LA in November, 2002. I've had, I think, five dogs at this point, two kids. I got married, I've had multiple jobs, started the ringer, did a whole bunch of things. And Tom Brady was the quarterback the entire time. I think what's gotten lost over the last 20 years is the Patriots became America's villain. And um, basically the Duke University basketball team of the NFL and the one that everybody wanted to beat. Um, the thing that got lost was how bad the Patriots were before Tom Brady took over as the starting quarterback. So I'm going to read this piece that I wrote before they played the Raiders on that Saturday night that everyone remembers as the tuck roll game, except for the Patriot fans who remember it as the snow game. I wrote this piece for page two. I'm going to read it now. And then we're going to end the podcast. So here's that piece. It's called Sad Saga of a Loyal Patriots Fan. Now here's a sentence I rarely get to type. New England has been seized by Super Bowl fever. Which more exciting, the fact our beloved Patriots are playing host to an AFC divisional playoff game against the evil Raiders on Saturday night? Or the fact we're two victories away from the big game? Frankly, it's a toss-up. Parentheses. I mean, the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl? Sweet Jesus. You have to understand, the Patriots have always been the Fredo Corleone of the sports scene in Boston, a.k.a. the black sheep, the member of the family who was always a little different, the lovable screw-up, the one for whom we always made excuses. With a franchise like the Celtics, we have fond memories such as, hey, remember that time Bird stole the ball from Isaiah? Or, hey, remember when Havlicek nailed the bank shot to give us the lead in the triple OT game? With the Patriots, the memories are more along the lines of, remember the time when Irving Fryer missed the 86 AFC championship game after he was cut with a knife in an incident involving his wife? So during those rare occasions when everything comes together and the Patriots emerge as a Super Bowl contender, which has only happened three other times in my lifetime as a Pats fan, people around here basically flip out. Look at the Pats, holy back row. Here come the Pats. Can you believe this? That's what happens when expectations are whittled down over the years when a franchise becomes so consistently inept that you can't even hold a grudge against them anymore. Is there a rare dynamic in sports these days than unconditional love? It isn't like they made it easy on us. For the past 30 years, the Patriots have played in Foxborough, a hole-in-the-wall town about 45 minutes from Boston. The actual stadium, shrewdly named Foxborough Stadium, looks like a concrete warehouse and has all the charm of a nuclear power plant. The seminal Foxborough highlight probably happened on opening day in 1970 when the bathroom plumbing wasn't finished in time for the first game. So fans were encouraged to relieve themselves in the unfinished bathrooms. Good times. During the glory years, parentheses, did we even have any glory years? The team was owned by the Sullivan family who started the franchise during the AFL's inception in 1960, then held on to it through the mid 80s when they were submarined by the Jackson Five. I'm not making this up. The Sullivan family had decided to fund the Jackson Brothers Victory Tour, which made Manimal look like a raging success. 
Needless to say, they went bankrupt and had to sell the team. And the Pats were passed around for a few years like an unwanted stepchild, nearly moving to St. Louis in 1993 before local paper magnate Robert Kraft stepped in and saved the team. By that time, barely anyone even cared. Not me, I cared. I fell for the Patriots as a four-year-old tyke in the mid-70s, partly because they were the hometown team, partly because I liked the red uniforms, and partly because I took a sudden liking to star white out Randy Vitaha, who was fast, white, and little, just like me. There were other Patriot fans my age, but not as many as you would think. Because of the legacy of losing, many New England kids adopted the Steelers, Dolphins, or Cowboys to be associated with a winner. Bastards. Things changed in 75 when the upstart Pats rolled off a slew of wins and headed to Oakland for a rare playoff game. And they were winning the damn thing, at least until referee Ben Dreeth called a ridiculous, I repeat, ridiculous, roughing the passer penalty on Sugar Bear Hamilton on third and 17, with the Pats leading by three in the final minutes, no less, to give the Raiders a second life. Oakland drove down the field and scored a late touchdown for the victory, eventually beating a banged-up Steelers squad in the AFC Championship game and an inferior Vikings team in the Super Bowl. I still remember the tears running down my face. We were better that year. Tragically, the Pats became the best team that couldn't win a Super Bowl, preceding the Eagles in the late 80s and the Bills in the early 90s. Every year, magazines and experts tabbed them as a Super Bowl favorite. Every year, something submarine them. In 76, they played a monster schedule, couldn't even sneak into the playoffs. During the 77 season, a contract holdout by all pro linemen, John Hannon and Leon Grace sent them into a tailspin. Coach Chuck Fairbanks bolted for a college job hours before the final game of the 78 regular season, a Monday night game, no less, and a reeling Patriots team was shellacked in the playoffs by Earl Campbell's Oilers. Suddenly, the window was closing. Things turned irrevocably during the exhibition season in 79, when a vicious tackle by Oakland safety Jack Tatum paralyzed star receiver Daryl Stingley. One of the three or four worst moments of my life as a sports fan. Understandably, the team sleepwalked through the season. Within two years, the Pats were 2-14. and 14. And that's how I was weaned on the New England Patriots. Since then, my life as a Patriots fan can be separated into six eras. The first era, the lovable losers, 1981-86. to 86. The aforementioned 2-14 and 14 season set the tone. We unearthed new ways to squander close games every week. There was one heartbreaker in Buffalo when Joe Ferguson completed a winning Hail Mary touchdown pass to Roland Hooks. A winning Hail Mary pass? When does that ever happen? We ended up with the first pick of the draft during a down year for college talent when the obvious choice was someone named Ken Sims. Other teams would get Tony Dorsett or John Elway with the number one pick. We got Ken Sims. That season was followed by a series of close but no cigar seasons, which always seemed to end cruelly in Miami, always in December, always with a playoff berth on the line. Uwe Von Schaman, Bob Greasy, Delvin Williams, Nat Moore, always someone different finding a way to beat us year after year. And then something weird happened. The Pats made another playoff run in 85, only this time. The momentum kept building. And KG veteran Steve Grogan, aka the Grog, came off the bench to carry the team, and the wins kept coming. And good God, they captured an AFC wildcard spot and they were winning games in New York and Miami and Oakland to reach their first ever Super Bowl. Still feels surreal even now. Nobody thought they could win in Miami. I mean, nobody. Imagine the most improbable sports moment of your life, then magnify it by 10. That's what a Patriots Super Bowl appearance felt like. 
It was like turning the world upside down. I just remember sitting in front of the tube before Super Bowl XX and enduring the mammoth pregame show surrounded by 15 magazines and a variety of nachos, potato chips, sodas, and pretzels, ready to pass out from anticipation. Little did I know I would endure the most agonizing three hours of my sports life. The Super Bowl shuffle, Eason and Grogan getting sacked roughly 334 times, the freaking fridge scoring a touchdown, just agonizing. By the fourth quarter, I was trying to stab myself with a pretzel rod. Two days later, as Patriot fans were still coming to grips with the grisly end to the season, the Boston Globe revealed that a handful of Patriots were using drugs during the season and that some players threw a cocaine party during Super Bowl week, giving birth to a legitimate drug scandal that tainted every fond memory of the season. And then Larry and the 86 Celts won the title. The Sox made the series a few months later. And that Pat season just kind of faded away, leading us to the second era. Same old, same old. 87 to 92. If this were an episode of Eat True Hollywood Story, remember that show? The announcer would be saying, coming up next, Irving Fryer's life continues to unravel into the hazy netherworld of drugs and domestic violence as the Eat True Hollywood New England Patriots story continues. Anyway, this was the time when the Patriots made that leap from local Oslo ran to full-fledged black sheep. First, the talented 86 team fell apart in Denver during the playoffs. Scarred by Super Bowl XX, Eason lost his confidence and started taking shotgun snaps from the fetal position just to save everyone some time. Hog Hannah retired and we weren't sure what was more depressing. The fact that Hannah had retired or the fact that the greatest Patriot of all time was an offensive guard. Can any other franchise make that claim? There was more. Raymond Barry resigned as head coach in 88, prompting confusion because some of us believe the Pats had been propping up his corpse on the sideline. Local icon Doug Flutie crossed the picket line and became a scab QB during the 88 strike. Then he hung around and stunk the joint up the following season before fleeing to Canada. Grogan refused to retire, enduring a barrage of injuries and becoming the first QB ever to start a game while wearing a neck roll. Swear to God, I posted the picture on my Twitter feed, actually. Two All-Pros had their careers cut short because of injury, Craig James and Don Blackman. Before the 89 season, the Pats lost three key starters in the final exhibition game, the season-ending injuries. It was like someone had thrown a black cat into the clubhouse. The guy who represented that era better than anyone was Fryer, the number one overall pick in the 84 draft and an electric wide receiver when they could keep him on the field. His drug problem didn't help. Neither did that squabble with his wife for the time he left the game at halftime with an injury and subsequently drove into a telephone pole or the time he and teammate Hartley Dykes were beaten up at a Providence nightclub. All that stuff happened. In classic Patriots fashion, Fryer found God and turned his career around. But it happened in Miami, not New England. During the late 80s and early 90s, when they couldn't win a game, crowds dwindled and the Pats officially became the troubled New England Patriots. You might remember Boston Herald reporter Lisa Olson sexually harassed by some Patriot players in the locker room during the 90s season, igniting a year-long scandal. Just a dreadful time. I remember wincing in college whenever someone asked if I was a Patriot fan. Have you ever had that feeling when you actually wanted to hide the fact that you rooted for a particular team? By this point, four things were really killing me about the Patriots. In the late 80s, Nintendo and Tecmo Bowl had taken video game football to the next level, and the Patriots were always terrible. When EA Sports started making the Madden games in the early 90s, same thing. You could always count on the video pats to suck. 
Here's another thing. We always had the second-rate announcers. They should have just changed the guy in the helmets in the late 80s from Pat Patriot to Beasley Reese. I don't know if you remember Beasley Reese, but he was the worst announcer of the late 80s. I don't think Dick Emberg and Merlin Olson ever set foot in Foxborough. They were the uh, Romo Nets at that time. Third thing, just a parade of forgettable coaches over the years. Ron Earhart, the Pete Carroll of his generation. It's funny. I wrote this in 2001. It was a Pete Carroll shot. The Pete Carroll won a Super Bowl. Oh, well. Ron Meyer, who came from the college ranks and pulled a patino. The post-Super Bowl, Ray Barry, who made flipping a two-headed coin seem unpredictable. Rod Rust, who may, might or may not have been embalmed. We're still not sure. Dick McPherson, a nice guy and a glorified cheerleader. None of them ever went on to coach another NFL team. Not a joke. Ron Earhart, Rod Meyer, Ray Berry, Rod Russ, Dick McPherson. The Patriots were their last job. Here's the fourth thing. Nothing was worse than draft days when you were praying the Pats wouldn't screw things up. And they usually did. They traded down from number 16 in 84 and San Francisco used that first round pick to select Jerry Rice. They took Hartley Dykes over Andre Risen. They took Reggie Dupart over Neil Anderson. They passed up Junior Seau and Cortez Kennedy, traded down and picked Chris Singleton and Ray Agnew. My favorite year was 92 when they traded down because the draft was rich in offensive linemen. Only some of them were snapped up early. So they traded back up to pick Eugene Chung, who they could have had originally and somehow ended up with fewer picks than they started with. Astounding. Here's a story that sums everything up. During the final week of the 92 season, WEI's Eddie Edelman, Kevin Mannix, and Rod Hobson were trying to pick an MVP for the Pat season on their radio show a season in which the Pats had finished 1-15. They finally decided on tight end Marv Cook just because he submitted the most consistent season out of anyone. Marv Cook! They were dead serious. Around that same time, the franchise nearly moved to St. Louis before a chain of fortunate events kept them in New England. Too complicated to describe here. And then something weird happened. The third era, rejuvenation, 1993-1996. Bill Parcells, inexplicably, decided to coach our team. Why? Why would he come here? Nobody knew. We were perplexed. Terrible franchise, snake bit and unstable, devoid of talent, no history, meager fan support, and yet Parcells wasn't phased in the least. We were like a high school nerd who can't figure out what to say when the class bombshell comes over to ask, want to go with a movie to me tonight? Season ticket sales started climbing. The team dumped its trademark red jerseys and went with a generic silver blue look, a ceremonial cutting in the ties to the sordid past. Parcells drafted Drew Bledsoe over Rick Meyer with the first pick in 93. Finally, a blue chipper. We found ourselves falling for our new coach, the way he carried himself, his professionalism, his goofy press conferences. Those, okay, all right, nuances. His Arbeckian aura of greatness. This was new territory for us. Of course, the team stumbled to a 1-11 start before winning its last four games, including a bird-like comeback by Bledsoe in the final home game against Miami. That was fucking awesome. They won their last seven games to make the 94 playoffs, an invigorating run that ended cruelly in Cleveland, Vinny Testaverde, Bill Belichick. With the Celtics, Bruins, and Sox all stumbling, with Parcells emerging as our most mesmerizing sports figure, with Bledsoe poised to fill that Russell Bird or void, the Pats had finally shed their black sheep status, or so we thought. Boston Sports Radio Station turned into Pat Central. There was actually a waiting list for season tickets. Everyone felt like we had stepped into an alternate universe. After an offseason in 95, they sunk into the Super Bowl the following year, giving Green Bay a legitimate scare before fading in the final quarter. 
You forget Desmond Howard's kickoff return broke open a close game in the second half. And the fact they kicked off to him in the first place is a story for another time. It was another one of those how the hell did this happen moments. We had a good team that season. Not quite a Super Bowl team. Everyone knew it. But the 97 season, that was the one we marked on our calendar all along. The fifth year of the Parcells Bledsoe era. The one with the number of stars entering their primes. The one that had always been looming as the year never happened. Angry over a war room snub during the 96 draft when Kraft overruled him and demanded the team take Terry Glenn in the first round. And aggrieved Parcells contemplated a move to the Jets during the late stages of the 96 season, even leaking his problems with Kraft to a newspaper during Super Bowl week, a definite distraction. Within a few weeks, Parcells was headed to New York. Kraft was demanding draft picks. Patriot fans were devastated. And the ensuing circus overshadowed one simple fact. The Patriots came within one or two plays of winning a Super Bowl. That's another Patriots tradition. We never get time to savor the moment. That leads us to the next era. Same old, same old, 97 and 99. The wheels came off. Kraft hired good-natured, upbeat San Fran assistant Pete Carroll as head coach. The classic case of a player's coach replacing a disciplinarian. And within months, players were diving into mosh pits, missing practices, getting into car accidents and fistfights. Even though they were a consensus Super Bowl contender, the Pats kept making mistakes in big moment. And Carroll's goofy, I'm jacked and pumped routine was bordering on Saturday Live Sketch territory. One of my readers at the time joked, the Pete Carroll era finally answers the question of why Fredo was never given control of the Corleone family, which led me to start calling him Coach Fredo. Once again, the window was closing. Blessed with the most talent in the AFC, the 97 season ended ignominiously in Pittsburgh with a 7-6 playoff loss marred by injuries and bad luck. Parcells stole Curtis Martin away, giving New England an extra first-round pick in classic Patriots fashion. The pass left Vonnie Holiday and Randy Moss on the board and somehow ended up with Tabucky Jones and, and Robert Edwards. In fact, Kraft's handpicked front office botched a staggering amount of boot chip picks from 97 to 99, 13 in the top three rounds, including five number ones. And only center Damian Woody and Jones contributed significantly to this year's playoff team. Things kept snowballing. The 98 team got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Jets beat us twice, made the AFC championship game. Are you kidding? Undaunted. Kraft brought Carroll back for a third season, which ended up being even worse than the previous year. We blamed Kraft for bungling a potential dynasty. We blamed Parcells for bailing shit. We blamed Bledsoe for never living up to his considerable potential. We blamed Bobby Greer in the front office for screwing up those draft picks. We were bitter, disgusted, hostile. We were Patriot fans again. That leads us to the next era. Signs of life, 2000 and 2001. Give Kraft credit. He learned from his mistakes. After firing Carol and Greer, he landed Bill Belichick as a coach and gave him say in personnel decisions along with right-hand man Scott Pioli. And it took a full season, but this year's Patriots team ended up sneaking up on us just like the 85 team. Nobody even saw them coming. And that's where we stand today. A suddenly rejuvenated franchise with a new quarterback, hungry veterans, young players with something to prove, and a bright coach who gives us a fighting chance every week. The rebirth of the Patriots is symbolized by CMGI Field, a state-of-the-art facility being built next door to Foxborough Stadium. Loads of luxury boxes, club seats, every seat faces the 50-yard line, chairs on every seat, you name it. Unless Baltimore beats Pittsburgh, Saturday's game doubles as the final Patriots game ever played at Foxborough Stadium, an endearing dump 
with absolutely no historical significance whatsoever. I have two memories of the place. One happened in the mid-90s when my buddy Jeff and I sat in our seats for a Broncos-Pats game. Within two plays, literally two plays, the kids sitting next to Jeff started puking all over the place. And we had to sit with our feet stuck in the kids' vomit for the rest of the game. The other memory happened during the 10-year anniversary tribute to the 86 Super Bowl team, a halftime ceremony in which one, Tony Eason was lustily booed by a sellout crowd one final time. That happened. And two, a commemorative 1985 AFC champs flag was raised, only it got stuck halfway up the flagpole where it flapped limply for the rest of the game. I swear to God, this happened. That's Foxborough Stadium. That's Patriots football. Those are my memories. So think about me when you're watching the Pats on Saturday. Maybe you root for the Bengals, Seahawks, Lions, Jets, Falcons, Cardinals, or Titans. So you can totally sympathize. Maybe you're just a casual fan. Maybe you don't care at all, but the fact remains, my Black Sheep football team is three wins away from winning the Super Bowl. And if you don't mind, I thought I would savor the moment. Who knows? I might not be here again for a while. So I wrote that before the snow game in 2001. Tom Brady won 30 playoff games. He won six Super Bowls. I think he won 219 regular season games, 13 first round buys, the greatest quarterback of all time, an unbelievable 20 years. And if you go back to that column that I wrote, completely improbable. It would be the equivalent of if the Browns starting right now, ripped off the best 20-year stretch in the history of football. It makes no sense. I've stopped trying to figure it out a long time ago. Tom Brady, thanks for passing through my life. You're the best quarterback I've ever seen. I can't believe things worked out for the Patriots for even one Super Bowl, much less six. Good luck in the next stop. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. You'll have an army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice, 24-7. And you can set this system up all by yourself. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS to get a free Simply Safe security camera, normally $100. Go today and it's free. That's simplysafe.com slash BS. Simply Safe with two eyes. Good luck to everybody out there. Please take care of yourselves. And, uh, I'm not sure if we're coming back with another BS podcast, but we will definitely have a rewatchables doing Castaway later in the week. Stay safe. Read the paper. Read online. Read all the news. Do what you have to do to help uh, stop this pandemic. And if I don't talk to you on this feed until Sunday night, I will see you on Sunday night. If not, uh, I'll be back Thursday, but take care of yourselves. <laughs>